Well, this is the day the Lord has made. We gather to rejoice and be glad in it. It's good to see all of you here in the Faith and Arts Center, along with those who are joining us online. Many of you know I come from the 830 traditional service and then over to our contemporary service. I got here just in time to hear Matt make his public confession of sin. (laughs) It called back some memories from my own younger days when my son was playing baseball and it always amazed me sitting in the stands how I could tell a ball or a strike much better than the umpire from behind the plate. And I was sometimes a little too vocal as Matt was confessing. However, Sometimes God uses our humanness. I actually had a family join the church from the baseball team. I was feeling really good about it, and then the father said, I really want to go to church where the preacher can fuss out an umpire like you do. (laughs) Well, this morning as we turn to God's Word, last week I pointed out how it's amazing what a vital part food plays, both in Holy Scriptures as well as in personal discipleship. Just a few moments ago, we prayed about God giving us our daily bread. And we recognize that's not just physical nourishment, although that's important. It's something we may oftentimes take for granted, and yet there are others in the world who are food insecure. But it's also spiritual sustenance of how do we nurture our souls. We don't live by bread alone but by the living Word of God. And our January worship series is entitled Sunday Dinner. Last week we enjoyed some comfort food. Today we're going to talk about soul food. And our scripture lesson comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. It is hard for me to believe, but we have been together as parish and pastor for five and a half years now. So I finally feel comfortable sharing with you a deep, dark, birch family secret. When I was younger, my father liked to watch on TV Hee Haw. We only had one TV in the entire house, so it was impossible to escape. And I have spent years in therapy Now, as I look out over the congregation, I realize some of you a little bit younger are going, he what? Hee Haw was a country western variety show that aired on Saturday nights in the late 80s and early 90s. And it was hosted by Buck Owens and Roy Clark, along with a host of other talented actors like Junior Samples and Beauregard the Wonder Dog. But one of the recurring cast members was Grandpa Jones. And every week, the group would ask him, Grandpa, what's for supper? And he would recite the most amazing menus. For example, we're having fried chicken so crisp and hot with taters and gravy, make sure and take a lot. There's green beans and fat back and biscuits with butter. 
and cold, cold milk straight from the udder. And for dessert, get you some pie. There's sweet tater apple and, of course, your favorite shoe fly. And the rest of the cast would call back, yum, yum. I know it's cruel to talk about food during January because during the holidays, we indulged in too much of too much. And we promised in the new year we were going to cut back. And it's the new year. And we've all made resolutions, New Year's Day was only two weeks ago, of diet and of exercise. And it's amazing, wherever you turn, there are ads for weight loss programs as well as gym memberships. And I'm not even going to ask you today how that's going for you. But a new year is also a good time to examine what we're feeding our souls, the soul food that we are ingesting and digesting. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, began a series of small groups that helped perpetuate the revival. And the leader at every small group would begin by asking, how is it with your soul? I sometimes compare and contrast that to the conversations we have at church on Sunday mornings. How is it with your soul? How is your spiritual health today? It may be something we have not even considered. There's an old adage in nutrition, you are what you eat. And that goes not only for our physical health, but also our spiritual. That good nutrition tends to promote good health. That poor nutrition tends to promote bad health. So think about all the different things on a daily basis we ingest. Magazines, books, TV programs, Movies, internet sites, social media, podcasts, music. What are we feeding our souls? Is it good for us or is it bad for us? Part of the challenge, part of the problem, just as it is for physical food and spiritual food, is that we live in a fast-paced, multitasking overscheduled culture. And it's easy for the important things to get crowded out of our lives. And when we begin to feel a hunger of the stomach or of the heart, we may default to fast food or to junk food. A friend tells about being in a grocery store and watching a mother with a child making her way down the aisles. And the child, as children do, picks something off the shelf that wasn't on the list and put it in the basket. And the mother snapped on him and said, put that back, you have to cook it. It's that way sometimes in our homes, and it's sometimes that way in our Christian pilgrimage. And we find ourselves feasting on fast food and junk food, and if we look closely, our Christian theology may well be an undigested accumulation of half-heard sermons, Bible studies, Sunday school lessons, self-help books, Hallmark TV specials, and more. Oftentimes, when I talk to people who are changing churches, not from north side to somewhere else, but, you know, other ways, one of the most common complaints I will hear is, I'm not being fed. That always conjures in my mind an interesting image of people walking through the door at church 
with silverware in one hand, a plate in the other, and a bib tucked under their chin. And I, I, I reflect on that. I'm not being fed. In part, I hear the sentiment and I understand the underlying desire. But then I look at Northside Church, and I begin to think about all the small groups, all the opportunities we have for children, youth, and adults, of Sunday school, of Bible studies, of women's small groups, of men's small groups, of disciple Bible study, banquet Bible study. As you look at our schedule, my guess is you could be involved in a small group of Christian discipleship every day of the week, maybe multiple times per day. And if we're saying, I'm not being fed, where does the responsibility rest? Now here, clearly, it's my job as a senior pastor, it's our job as a church staff to help facilitate that. But if you're depending on Bill Birch's sermons alone to get you into heaven... Brothers and sisters, I'm good, but I'm not that good. We need other soul food for our lives in order to grow. And when you read the Bible, it is intriguing to discover what a high level of commitment Jesus sets for discipleship. The original 12 apostles left everything behind to follow Jesus. He said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. Legend tells us 11 of the 12 died violent deaths. He said, love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every time somebody joins our church, I reflect upon the high level of commitment to serve Christ and to love the church with all your prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. Whenever we baptize a baby at the altar, to listen to the promises that those parents are making and their church family are making in turn, it's a high level of commitment. And I'm guilty on occasion, my guess is you are as well, of being frightened by those demands. And with the best of intentions to make the gospel more accessible, church membership more accessible to others, or maybe perhaps to lighten the load on ourselves, we downplay the demands of discipleship. And we offer a Christianity light that lessens what it means to follow Jesus with all those pesky feelings of guilt. We offer a church light. That's the home of a 12-minute sermon, a 40-minute worship service, and a Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible. We offer a gospel light that sands off the rough edges of the cross and gilds it with silver and with gold. And we offer a sermon light that preaches seven commandments. Pick which ones you want to follow along with five fruit of the Spirit and a 1% tithe. Years ago, I was exposed to a quote by Wilbur Reese that gets at this attitude. He wrote, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, just enough to equal a warm cup of milk or a nice snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make him me love a foreigner or pick beats with a migrant worker. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of a womb and not new birth. I want the pound of eternal in a sack. I'd like to buy $3 worth of God, please. And part of what I continue to discover in my spiritual journey is that following Jesus Christ is not just a binary choice between bad and good. It's also an ongoing choice between good and better. 
and better and best because God loves us as we are but will not accept anything less than all of us. That's what God seeks in our life. Today's scripture lesson gets at what I'm talking about. Philippians chapter 4, most of us are familiar with the first part of this passage where Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. But then he gets to these last two verses in 8 and 9, and he says, finally, which is a lie for most preachers, he says, finally, listen to the words he uses, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, focus on those things. This is what we need to be taking into our body, the food for our soul. I got tickled watching the children's sermon here today. I, I, I'm not sure they got the total point from Miss Sarah once those cupcakes and the ice cream went on the chart. But I will also say, when I started writing the sermon, I was also thinking about the food pyramid as one of my examples, and then I did a little bit more research. They may not have recognized that because in 2011, the United States Department of Agriculture did away with the food pyramid and replaced it with my plate. Have you seen this? Yeah, my plate has four different sections. You get vegetables, fruit, protein, and grains. So I began to play with that in my head. If you were going to boil it down to the four essentials of Christian discipleship, what would they be? Obviously, there are others. There are a whole host of healthy habits of spiritual disciplines we can practice. Real quickly, in your own head, kind of come up with your own list. These are not going to surprise you in any form or fashion. First one, prayer. Spending time with God. Coming to God and spending quality time in quantity amounts, sharing the contents of our lives. Several years ago, we did a series on Acts, A-C-T-S, of adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, bringing those things to God. But it's not just talking in prayer. It's listening. It's being. It's abiding in God's presence, recognizing that holy communion shapes and affects our lives. It means play, praying on a disciplined basis, having times during the day which we dedicate and devote to prayer just like we do other aspects of life. But it also means praying continually, constantly, ongoingly. And we're going to talk more about that in next week's sermon, fast food. The second discipline, again, you're going to get this one, is Bible study. God has given us the instruction manual. We need to read it, to dwell within it. This past year, our congregation did the Route 66 journey through the Bible where we read a chapter a day, six days a week. And it was an amazing, amazing adventure. If you didn't have a chance to do it or you started and stopped, we've still got the reading plan. There are other plans out there. If you're uncertain where to start or what translation of the Bible to read, talk to one of the pastors. We'll be glad to guide you. The important thing is to commit yourself to reading the Bible. I've told this story before, I think it was on a, in, within a student service, but when I, was a when I was in my, oh, maybe my 30s, I had a teenager approach me who was considering the ministry, and they said, what is the one thing you did as a teenager that helped prepare you for the ministry more than anything else? And looking back, I guess I sounded kind of nerdish, but I said, I read the Bible. 
I've got in my study two or three Bibles from my high school and college years that are marked up and worn out. I immerse myself in God's Word. Brothers and sisters, it makes a difference. It's God's Word spoken to us. Uh, The third essential nutrient is Christian community. You're doing that right now. We do it in Sunday school whenever we gather in small groups. I say this over and again. Jesus, the Son of God, needed a group of 12 people to surround him. If Jesus needs that, we do too. And oftentimes that's found in small group opportunities. And I think Sunday school is amazing because it's accessible to so many people. And part of the reason we started a a designated Sunday school hour is we recognized that there were singles within our congregation and couples within our congregation who weren't finding a place to stick anywhere else. And my image, and I share this over and again, is the Northside Bible class. They are in their 80s plus. They started as a young married couples class. Isn't that a great image of what it means to do life together as the body of Jesus Christ? We need that. For men, if you're interested in a small group, we've got a lot of different opportunities. My pastoral letter this Wednesday is about it. Talk to Jeff Rogers, Peyton McWhorter, Jimmy Trimble. They'll be glad to give you more information. For women, you can talk to Sue Allen or Krista Groves. They can give you the list of what all is available to find a small group to be involved in. And then the fourth is service. Because Christian discipleship is not all about income, it's also about outgo, of taking how God has blessed us to bless others, to be the hands and feet of Christ. And if you're looking for a way to serve and you're not currently plugged in, I've got great news for you. Last Saturday in January, our new Habitat for Humanity build begins. And some of you had the opportunity to participate last year. It is life-transforming. It is certainly life-transforming for the person for whom we're building the house but is also life-changing for those who engage in the process. And you know what I love about Habitat? When you're nailing, when you're sawing, when you're carrying supplies, I didn't hear a single conversation about who pulled for Georgia and who pulled for TCU or Alabama or Clemson. Or if somebody was Republican or Democrat or Libertarian, or if they were conservative or they were progressive, we were the body of Christ at work in the world, and that's what unites us. And if you want to have a wonderful, life-changing opportunity, sign up for the last Saturday of January, moving forward through the spring, and watch how God uses you to change others. Prayer. Bible study. Christian community, service. Those are the essentials of soul food that help feed our spirit. Now, you may not be aware there was a college football game last week, and there was a parade on Saturday. College football's over. Professional football's continuing. But baseball fans know next month begins spring training with pitchers and catchers reporting, and soon the rest of the players following. And some of these athletes have been playing baseball since they were four or five years old. And when they were young, they practiced and learned the fundamentals of hitting, running, catching, and throwing. When spring training begins, these professional athletes who have spent decades in the sport, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to practice hitting and running 
and catching and throwing because you never outgrow the basics. And if you want to get really good, you have to be disciplined. Did you hear the last words of Paul in our scripture lesson today after he goes through all those wonderful things we're supposed to focus upon? He said, put it into practice. It's the only way to grow and to mature. So this morning, I invite you to just take a few moments to consider where you are in your prayer life. Where are you in Bible study? Christian community in small groups? Service. Let me phrase that a little bit differently. What area of your spiritual nutrition do you wish you could go back five years ago and have started? To begin cultivating a regular time of prayer or reading a chapter of the Bible a day or founding or getting involved in a small group or finding a place where your passion and the world's needs intersect in service. Well, the reality is you can't do that. But what is it you want to start today that five years from now you will look back and say that made all the difference? What are we feeding our souls What's for Sunday dinner? How is it with your soul? Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the soul food that you provide for our spiritual health. You have laid a feast out before us and you invite us to dine. Today I ask that you would identify something in our lives that your spirit would nudge our spirits and say this is a place that needs more attention and help us by your Spirit's might to engage with commitment and discipline the call of discipleship as we grow and mature in the faith. In the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.